This is Darrell Alia, and you're listening to the Before the Man's Podcast, episode 162. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur entrepreneur and you are listening to the before the millions podcast hey this is mark asquith the host of the seven minute mentor podcast global entrepreneur and all-round geek and you are listening to the before the millions podcast i am mc lobster the cash flow ninja and you're listening to before the millions podcast you're listening to the before the millions podcast but whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye in a normal week under normal circumstances and i'll leave you to define what normal is you would uh, get a weekly episode from us over at Before the Millions, whether it's an interview with a millionaire from somewhere in the world or it's a solo episode with myself adding value. Um, but this week, I wanted to take some time away from the normal aim of the platform and talk about something that I think is rather important for the times and um, something that is always on my mind and is really disturbing as a black man in America. And I've never used this medium to voice any social issues or political issues or things of that nature. But in a world where there's so much unjust and so many people are looking for answers and there's so much misinformation, I wanted to use my platform to voice my concern, voice what I'm doing to remain proactive. And if you're open to it, maybe make some suggestions for you moving forward to become proactive in fighting for justice in a country that we dearly love. I want to start by saying rest in peace to George Floyd. Rest in peace to Breonna Taylor. Rest in peace to Philando Castile. Rest in peace to Anton Sterling. Rest in peace to Eric Gardner. Rest in peace to Michael Brown. Rest in peace to Tanisha Anderson. Rest in peace to Tamir Rice. Rest in peace to Gabriela Navarez. And rest in peace to Stephen Clark. And everyone else who has been unjustly killed by the police for decades. The things that are being caught on camera are so disgusting, so foul, so immoral. And I can only just imagine how much more hasn't been able to get caught on camera. How much more before the invention of a camera? It sickens me every single time I think about the unjust that's going on in our world. And sad to say, I personally know how unprompted situations can escalate for absolutely no reason at all, other than the color of a person's skin. Now, I want to put an asterisk in this subject matter because there are many, the majority of cops are good moral citizens. 
that go to work every single day, put their lives in danger to protect and serve us. In this season of my life, some of the closest people to me are officers, and oftentimes we have these conversations, and I get advice from them, and they get advice from me on what we can do proactively to create a better future. And again, most of the good officers are standing with us. So this message is not coming for the good officers out there, the great officers out there, but there is a vast injustice that we cannot turn a blind eye to. As advanced of a civilization as we are, there is no, there's no reason, there's no way I cannot comprehend how George Floyd died in the middle of the day, surrounded by officers and civilians and cameras, as everyone watched him die for eight minutes and 46 seconds, uttering that he couldn't breathe, crying to his dead mother. I don't care what your race is, what your nationality is, if you're not enraged, if you're not insulted, by the blatant disregard of human life, by the absolute mistreatment, disgrace, and death of a fellow human being for no conceivable reason, then quite frankly, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm just going to leave that at that. I'm not political by any means, and I don't vouch for a single person or a single member of anything. And yet and still, Black Lives Matter. So regardless of the hearsay, Regardless of what ulterior motives are out there and who's supporting what, my viewpoint is that it's a fundamental fact that black lives need to matter. And if your argument against black lives matter is that all lives matter, then you're absolutely missing the point. You're absolutely missing the point by a mile because it's not that all lives don't matter. Every single one of our lives matter. Every single one of our lives matters. And that's the whole reason black lives matter. Again, I don't know about the business of Black Lives Matter. I don't know about the political aims, but what I do know is the message. I don't think you could ever become fully educated on the subject matter. I think this is a lifelong learning experience. As a black man in America, I am in a position where I think, and most of us are, ill-equipped and ill-informed to deal with the solution on the ground in real life and from a solution-oriented position. So the best thing we can do is educate ourselves, is to trial and error, is to be open for vulnerable discussion. And I'm here for all of that. What's funny is I've been reading a book called From the Broder Files, 22 Essays on the African-American Experience. And one of my mastermind members got this book for me maybe back in January or February of this year. And I started reading this book literally a few weeks before everything kind of hit the fan. So it was really interesting as I was kind of diving into black history, real black history, not just slavery over the past short stint, but the actual history that shows that slavery was just a blimp, just a speck in the history of the African man. Whereas when you look at the longer time horizon, you realize that most of your fathers and forefathers were kings and pharaohs and and great rulers of what began to become some of the greatest civilizations on earth. Discovered some of the most profound things in science and, and created some of the most prolific inventions and set the tone for a lot of modern day English societies. But again, all you're taught is that you come from slaves and slavery, which is, again, just a few hundred years old. So it's been a real fascinating book to, again, just kind of dive deep into and become more educated on the black experience. So I do know, of course, that 
a good majority of my listenership comes from all parts of the world and all races and ethnicities and nationalities. And we are a pretty broad group. So I wanted to make sure that ultimately, even if the resources that I'm reading may not be the best for you, that I could always recommend the best resources as a whole for us to look into, to educate ourselves on, and to continue to formulate ideas and solutions around problems that are plaguing today's society. So I have a few resources for you first and foremost, and then a small story to share with you at the end of this episode. So first, let's talk about these resources as an ally for America and justice moving ahead. The very first resource for especially my non-black friends is called So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijoma Olowu. This is going to give you a little insight on the African-American take on racism in America. So you'll be learning about issues such as privilege and police brutality and microaggressions and Black Lives Matter and the N-word. So again, that book is called So You Want to Talk About Race, and it is by Ijoma Lowell. The next resource I would like to recommend is a movie, and this movie is called The Banker, and is a movie that I am actually going to watch this week. It is a movie that came out here this year in 2020, and it's all about, and I haven't watched the movie, of course, um, but it's all about two African-American entrepreneurs in the late 50s who hire a white man to pose as the head of their company. Now, the main character in this movie is a real estate investor. So, again, it goes along with the theme of this podcast. And this real estate investor is going into white neighborhoods and he's going about a process of desegregation or fighting for housing integration. So, again, this is a movie I'm watching this week. And if you're interested in watching this movie as well, it's called The Banker. And I'm told that it's a great movie for the times just to, again, put things in perspective get you out of your comfort zone, and maybe help you take more and effective action because it's the right thing to do. And last but not least, I have a resource that is a podcast. Since you listen to this podcast, I assume you are a podcast listener. This, again, is a podcast that I am now subscribed to and haven't been in the past, but again, becoming more educated. It's by the New York Times, and it's called 1619, and it talks about a ton of different sectors such as healthcare and government and agriculture and voting and all types of things. But in each of these sectors, it talks about the racist structures that are, that are in place to limit black people specifically and the way that white people are weaponized to keep that in place. So again, that podcast is called 1619. So I give you all those resources because at the end of the day, I want you to take some type of appropriate massive action towards a better America for all of us tomorrow. And you may think that your voice doesn't matter. You may think that there's very little that you can do to, to affect change. I've felt like that. I still, in some capacity, feel like that. But I saved the best for last because I want to play for you. In another book that I'm reading, I want to play for you just five minutes of what is about a 10-hour audio book. I want to play for you five minutes, guys. So do not report this. Do not tell anybody I'm playing this for you. It's just five minutes. And I think the author will be okay as long as I, I, I cite, you know, as we used to do back in school, I make sure that I let you guys know the name of the book, the name of the author, where I'm quoting from and all that good stuff. But, but ultimately, I want to play just a little excerpt out of this book that I'm currently reading 
to show you how powerful you possibly can be and how you shouldn't doubt your impact or your ability to cause impact, to cause change, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Native American, or anyone else. Just one small action, just you going to change.org and signing a petition can mean volume. This is why so many people don't vote now because they think their vote doesn't matter. But I want to play for you an excerpt out of this book. And I want to hopefully maybe shift your mindset towards what you can do as an individual to affect change. And hopefully the resources I've given you are just a starting point because I'm not going to come back after the recording to talk to you guys. So I want to make sure that I'm giving you everything that you need now as tools. And the resources that, I, that I've given you are resources that I'm looking into amongst others, again, consistently researching so that I can find out how I can better position myself to affect change. I think everyone is struggling to come up with solutions. Some of us have a million solutions, but what are the ones that are actually going to work? What are the ones that are pushing us forward? I think Martin Luther King would be proud, but I think he's just like, dude, you guys have so much more in the tank. And we do. And we'll get there. But it starts with but it starts with the actions that we take today. Oh, and don't let me get started on generational wealth now more than ever. And, you know, the other 160 odd podcast episodes I've recorded with millionaires from all over the world. But this is a start point. Without any further ado, I want to play for you an excerpt out of the book, Super Forecasting, The Art and Science of Prediction by Philip E. Tetlock and Dan Gardner. I'm playing for you an excerpt out of chapter one, An Optimistic Skeptic. And the excerpt I'm playing for you is just an illustration on chaos theory. So remember when I told you that you were more powerful than you knew and the very littlest of action that you take could have massive effects in terms of justice for black people in America? Well, this excerpt is going to highlight for you this exact theory, chaos theory. But as it took place 10 years ago, halfway across the world, and it's very similar to what most of us feel and what I see taking place now. Now, although this illustration draws on the depiction of a ineffective political system as cause for a solution, that's not why I'm playing this for you. I'm playing this for you so that you understand your role to create change, whether the solution is political, civil, or social. You have a part to play. I have a part to play. We all have a part to play. So what are you going to commit to doing today? What are you going to commit to doing in the next week? What are you going to commit to doing in the next month? What can you commit to doing for the rest of your life? Is this a one-time thing? Are you an ally for the week because it's the cool, hip thing to do right now? It's the craze? Or are you a lifer? Are you a human race ally for life? And I hope the answer to that is a strong yes. So I hope that's been helpful. And this is not the end all be all. I will be back on numerous occasions to talk more about social justice and um, what I'm currently doing in this space. And hopefully I can get some feedback and some advice from you guys. I am no expert. I have no idea what the right answers are, but I do want to be a beacon of light. I do want to share with you as I continue to learn my resources and the conclusions I'm drawing. So hopefully uh, this this has been helpful. I know it's not on script. It's not our usual content, but I just thought that it was much needed and, and, and necessary at this time. 
if you have any advice, again, I'm, I'm open to it. I want to do as much as possible as I can in the space um, to make sure that I'm moving, uh, to make sure that I'm pushing change. So if there's anything that I can do to help you and your mission to get it in front of more eyeballs or to get more dollars behind it, uh, let me know and let's uh, let's set something up. Let's have a chat and see if um, see if it makes sense. So with that being said, here is Philip E. Tetlock from the book Super Forecasting, the Art and Science of Prediction and his illustration on chaos theory. You are listening to the Before the Millions. Before the Millions podcast. Consider a young Tunisian man pushing a wooden handcart loaded with fruits and vegetables down a dusty road to a market in the Tunisian town of Sidi Bouzid. When the man was three, his father died. He supports his family by borrowing money to fill his cart, hoping to earn enough selling the produce to pay off the debt and have a little left over. It's the same grind every day. But this morning, the police approach the man and say they're going to take his scales because he has violated some regulation. He knows it's a lie. They're shaking him down. But he has no money. A policewoman slaps him and insults his dead father. They take his scales and his cart. The man goes to a town office to complain. He is told the official is busy in a meeting. Humiliated, furious, powerless, the man leaves. He returns with fuel. Outside the town office, he douses himself, lights a match, and burns. Only the conclusion of this story is unusual. There are countless poor street vendors in Tunisia and across the Arab world. Police corruption is rife, and humiliations like those inflicted on this man are a daily occurrence. They matter to no one aside from the police and their victims. But this particular humiliation, on December 17, 2010, caused Muhammad Bouazizi, aged 26, to set himself on fire, and Bouazizi's self-immolation sparked protests. The police responded with typical brutality. The protests spread. Hoping to assuage the public, the dictator of Tunisia, President Zain al-Abedin ben Ali, visited Boazizi in the hospital. Boazizi died on January 4, 2011. The unrest grew. On January 14, ben Ali fled to a cushy exile in Saudi Arabia, ending his 23-year kleptocracy. The Arab world watched. Stunned. Then protests erupted in Egypt, Libya, Syria, Jordan, Kuwait, and Bahrain. After three decades in power, the Egyptian dictator, Hosni Mubarak, was driven from office. Elsewhere, protests swelled into rebellions, rebellions into civil wars. This was the Arab Spring, and it started with one poor man, no different from countless others, being harassed by police as so many have been, before and since, with no apparent ripple effects. It is one thing to look backward and sketch a narrative arc, as I did here, connecting Mohammed Bouazizi to all the events that flowed out of his lonely protest. Tom Friedman, like many elite pundits, is skilled at that sort of reconstruction, particularly in the Middle East, which he knows so well, having made his name in journalism as a New York Times correspondent in Lebanon. But could even Tom Friedman, if he had been present that fatal morning, have peered into the future and foreseen the self-immolation, the unrest, 
the toppling of the Tunisian dictator, and all that followed? Of course not. No one could. Maybe, given how much Friedman knew about the region, he would have mused that poverty and unemployment were high, the number of desperate young people was growing, corruption was rampant, repression was relentless, and therefore Tunisia and other Arab countries were powder kegs waiting to blow. But an observer could have drawn exactly the same conclusion the year before, and the year before that. Indeed, you could have said that about Tunisia, Egypt, and several other countries for decades. They may have been powder kegs, but they never blew, until December 17, 2010, when the police pushed that one poor man too far. In 1972, the American meteorologist Edward Lorenz wrote a paper with an arresting title, Predictability. Does the flap of a butterfly's wings in Brazil set off a tornado in Texas? A decade earlier, Lorenz had discovered by accident that tiny data entry variations in computer simulations of weather patterns, like replacing 0.506127 with 0.506, could produce dramatically different long-term forecasts. It was an insight that would inspire chaos theory. In nonlinear systems, like the atmosphere, even small changes in initial conditions can mushroom to enormous proportions. So, in principle, a lone butterfly in Brazil could flap its wings and set off a tornado in Texas, even though swarms of other Brazilian butterflies could flap frantically their whole lives and never cause a noticeable gust a few miles away. Of course, Lorenz didn't mean that the butterfly causes the tornado in the same sense that I cause a wine glass to break when I hit it with a hammer. He meant that if that particular butterfly hadn't flapped its wings at that moment, the unfathomably complex network of atmospheric actions and reactions would have behaved differently, and the tornado might never have formed. Just as the Arab Spring might never have happened, at least not when and as it did, if the police had just let Muhammad Bouazizi sell his fruit and vegetables that morning in 2010.